0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the State Update Podcast. We're back at it again. State sessions have slowly ended. So this month started with a bang and then ended with a putter, but we still had some good wins and good policy get through the finish line. But we'll start with Ed. Ed, what's happening in the Northeast and all the
1: tracking you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give everyone an update on New Hampshire. So as you may have heard very recently, the New Hampshire Senate did pass An expansion to the state's education freedom account program, which would expand the program from 300 to 350 percent of the federal poverty line. However, given New Hampshire's unique process, after that passage, it still had to go through Senate finance and then pass the full Senate again. Yesterday evening, it did um, get the green light from Senate finance, and we're anticipating a final vote in the Senate on that on June 8th, where it'll then be sent to the governor's desk if it does pass. So that's the update on New Hampshire. Regarding tracking in the states, we are wrapping up sessions. So these updates do get less and less drastic, but we do have an update nonetheless. At this point, between ESA, voucher, test credit scholarship, and refundable tax credit legislation, there have been 106 bills introduced in 40 states this year. And between ESAs, vouchers, test credit scholarships, refundable tax credits, tuition reimbursement programs. Individual tax credits, micro schools, micro grants, and constitutional amendments that are favorable to school choice. That's kind of just the more expanded list of school choice legislation. Between those pieces of legislation, we're at 134 bills in 43 states. That pretty much wraps up the update from my end. Yeah, as I've said, session's coming to a close. It's definitely been quite the exciting year for school choice with the record numbers of legislation being introduced across the country.
0: Yeah, it's really kind of crazy how much records have been broken as far as it relates to all types of school choice and just education reform in general. It's been quite the year. I know Robert, the CEO, and I were talking about how not as many states have enacted choice policy, but it's more quality over quantity, so much more universal type legislation, which is great. We want all kids to be eligible. So Caitlin, what about you? What's happening in the Southwest? I know there's one particular state that's our home state that did some good things.
2: Yeah, so Oklahoma passed the refundable tax credit, and that was passed at the end of April, actually, I believe, maybe the very beginning of May. But the governor actually finally was able to sign that bill after the House released it. It was held up for a while during budget negotiations as part of that deal, but the governor was finally able to sign that last week. And so the most robust um, choice legislation that we've seen in Oklahoma, so that was a big win. And I know that you and Mark are kind of going to discuss the uniqueness of that program compared to what we've seen in the past and states that have done an ESA or voucher program. So it's a little bit different from other tax credit programs. That's kind of the only thing majorly that's happened in this area. Texas finally wrapped up their session with another year without an ESA or any other major. Again. Again. The main difference would be that I would say that there is a more likely than not chance that they will go into a special session. Abbott vowed that very early on that they would do that. And then he has already said that that's going to happen. And the lieutenant governor has also committed to that. So we're just kind of waiting for a timeline on that.
0: Yeah, it's been, um, I mean, you can say if you disagree, but it seems like both the governor and lieutenant governor have really done everything they possibly can to try to get this done. And so, you know, they're using the next tool in their tool chest, which is a special session. But I mean, they really have been champions on the issue.
2: They have. This year's been very different in that nature as far as instead of being more passive on it, they've been every step of the way pushing and pushing, And whereas they don't always have as much power. In the past, they've had to be a little bit more passive. And The governor typically has to just kind of, you know, be on the sidelines a little bit more and has less power, but he has done everything he can to really push this along. And I think special session is the next way we're going to see that. So we did see in Arizona limiting their universal program. There were some efforts made to cap the program and to slow that enrollment down. And that was unsuccessful. So that was a good thing. In May, as this year, we knew that stiffening the program was going to be the most important thing we did in Arizona. The renewal of contracts was also a big thing. where people did submit bids for that. So we'll be watching that as well. So that's kind of all I had majorly for my states down in the Southwest. In Nevada, we're still watching. The governor is using his passion for choice and negotiations on the budget. And it looks like he may actually be able to get a little bit of an expansion on that. So,
0: yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a surprise just given the political dynamics in that state. But just another case where another governor is, you know, a choice champion and really fighting hard to try to get something for families out there. So I'm happy for that. Nathan, what about you? What's happening in the Southeast?
3: Lots of things happening. Lots of great things happening in the Southeast. I'll start with North Carolina. So I think in the last state update call that we did, they had passed H-823, choose your school, choose your future, out of the house. In terms of movement, development in the state, there hasn't been much going on since then. It's sort of a slower process. North Carolina has a uh, longer legislative session than most states, so they don't have as many deadlines as, as some others. But just to kind of recap, the choose your school, choose your future H-23 piece of legislation that would give universal school choice to North Carolina, pass the House, and they have companion legislation in the Senate that has not yet passed the Senate. But because of that, there's still really two options on the table. One's more likely than the other. They could go the budget route. The speaker can fit their choose your school, choose your future piece of legislation into the budget and send the full budget to the governor. Or... They could choose to pass a piece of legislation in the Senate and then send a bill to the governor in an anticipated veto and then choose to override the veto in both chambers. So both of those options are still possible and on the table, but it seems like the budget route is what is being touted. Now, a big development, if you will, that's happened since our last data update call is sort of an unprecedented state of emergency from the governor's office, who's essentially made... This bill, this school choice bill, a state of emergency from the governor's office saying that it will completely destroy and defund these public schools and all of these things that we always hear. And he did a press conference about it. uh, So we're not
0: talking about a hurricane or tornado or flood. We're talking about giving money to families for their education. Is that right?
3: Yeah. (laughs) No natural disaster. No one has died. There has been no real emergency. But if you look on the governor's website, In a huge red banner on the top of the website, it's governor declares state of emergency, but it's for a school choice legislation. It's absolutely insane. Everyone's talking about it. From what I understand, it's completely unprecedented, especially in North Carolina, but maybe even in the United States as a whole. And so it's completely crazy. So the governor's office is absolutely fighting this. So if it comes to his desk as a bill, he will absolutely veto it. No one's expecting anything different from that. But if they go the budget route, it's a little bit more strategic fitting it in with some other initiatives that the governor's office has, he may not have an option. So we'll see how that develops. I think on the right side of the whole state of emergency thing, it just shows where the governor's office is. They know that, you know, the legislators want this, they know that parents want this, they know that the constituents want this, North Carolina, and that students want this. And I think this is sort of just a last-ditch effort to do anything for it. And so sort of just using the state of emergency as a virtue signaling effort to Tell people to contact their legislators, but I don't really know how effective it will be. So that's an interesting thing that happens. Be on the lookout over the next couple of weeks. The budget usually is due at the end of the month of June for North Carolina. So over the next couple of weeks, they're expecting some developments there. So we'll see how that goes.
4: Nathan, I actually have a question for you about your state update. So Roy Cooper, I've heard, sent his own children to private schools. Can you tell me if that was a state of emergency when he sent his own kids to private school in North Carolina?
3: But yeah, Mark, you're right. The governor did send his own kids to private school, but he still, him and his office, admit to make it more difficult and continue, you know, keeping kids trapped in their zones. So you're right, you're right, Mark. So Louisiana, there's been some developments there with a couple of the ESA bills. The universal ESA HB ninety eight has pretty much all but died this session. It didn't get scheduled for its Senate committees because of the certain makeup of the Education Committee in the Senate. That was sort of expected, although there were some hopes that it would be scheduled and see where some of the legislators stood on Universal. But again, that was sort of expected. We're expecting more optimistic votes and sort of an optimistic, I guess, attitude towards ESAs next year with new leadership and some new legislators as some of the older ones get turned out. And so all is expected. No uh, big letdowns, I guess. But There is another ESA for students' with exceptionalities, HB 9, which has passed its first Senate committee hurdle. It'll be scheduled next week for its second hurdle in committee. And after it passes that, which is all expected to, it will go to the Senate floor and then hopefully to the governor's desk. Now, that will probably be its biggest challenge this session, is to see if the governor will sign it. Early in the session, the governor was um, working with the bill author. But after some of the amendments that he wanted to put on that weren't very good, were not put on it, thankfully, he kind of backed off a little bit. So we'll see if he signs that. He's never been a huge supporter of any type of school choice bill. And so this one, of course, is a targeted for, you know, students with exceptionalities, which, again, look, our legislature, the House and the Senate, it seems like overwhelmingly, bipartisanly support this bill. No question, there are only a few people who have not voted for it. But overwhelmingly, especially in the House, there are only three people who voted against it. And so Hopefully, the governor takes notes and reads the room. And for HB9, there was only three people who didn't vote for it. I mean, most Democrats in the House and all the Republicans in the House voted for it. And so hopefully the governor reads the room and takes the notes and signs the bill. And so, pretty optimistic on that one. I'm feeling good about that one, but we'll see how that turns out over the next couple of weeks as session ends. So, session ends on Thursday. Constitutionally, they must end at like 6 p.m., I think. And so, it's been good. I'm extremely optimistic for next session again with new leadership and some new legislators stepping in. And I mean, especially as we've seen in other states like Florida, Arkansas, hopefully North Carolina, these states passing these expansive school choice packages. I'm hoping that Louisiana sort of takes some notes and uh, says, you know, we don't want to be last anymore. Let's pass something like this, especially with the new governor and, you know, takes that big leap. So I'm optimistic for next session. I'm excited to start working there. So yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, again, I just want to point out that Louisiana is one of the only states, not the only, but one of the only states where even though it's a targeted ESA, it's still an ESA nonetheless, it's still a choice program nonetheless, and where traditionally the other side, the Democrats have voted in lockstep against it, Louisiana now for the second year has been an exception, whereas you said, you know, it was unanimous last year and some smaller measures this year as well. As far as I know, there have not been any other choice measures this year. Except for Oklahoma, there was one Democrat in the House who's a good friend of Caitlin and ours who voted for the refundable tax credit, but no other Democrats have really voted for it. Now, Mark, we'll go to you. I know Pennsylvania, there's some lights at the end of the tunnel as well there for some bipartisanship. So what's going on there?
4: You're right about that, Joey. It's heating up here in Pennsylvania, literally and figuratively, literally because it's 90 degrees outside today and I'm sweating. And figuratively, because we're heading into budget season session is winding down. So that's pretty much all of the month of June is budget season. And education-related, there are two main proposals on the table. Proposal number one is to expand the state's tax credit programs, tax credit scholarship programs. And proposal number two is to pass Lifeline scholarships, a targeted education savings account proposal. And both of these are supported by the governor, and he continues to support them. Now it's interesting to note about the tax credit programs these programs have been waitlisted for years and they've been waitlisted both on the student side and on the donor side with at times hundreds of millions of dollars sitting on the sidelines that donors want to donate but they can't because of program caps so the last data that we have in terms of the student waitlist is about 75,000 students which would in simple math terms it would take about 150 million dollars to offset that wait list and to allow every kid who meets it an opportunity in Pennsylvania through the tax credit program. You know, so we'll see how that shakes out. It is helpful and it is a welcome change to have the governor support after eight years of not having a governor who supported these types of programs, you know. But speaking of supporting choice options in Pennsylvania, Ed Choice just sponsored an event in Philadelphia, one of our longtime and Dear Partners Children's Scholarship Fund, Philadelphia, run by Keisha Jordan and her staff over there. And they do amazing work at CSFP. Their average family income is about $46,000. They are truly helping, you know, more than 5,000 Philadelphia families a year who really, really need the access and really need the opportunity. And we held an event at St. Francis Cabrini Catholic High School in Philadelphia with a number of local partners, local policymakers, all professing support for supporting these programs, for expanding these programs. You know, we heard from parents, from teachers, from the school principal, just real life stories of the needs of families and of transformational change of these programs.
0: That's great. And I want to make sure that we uh, talk about a specific policy, which was the refundable tax credit in Oklahoma. I mean, you as our policy director kind of see all of the different angles of these choice policies, and we've talked about, you know, vouchers of the past that are still around, obviously. But that was kind of first thought of as the way to do it, and then ESAs came about about a decade ago as the next best way to do it for allowable expenses and different things like that. And now we've come to refundable tax credit, which is obviously not a new thing in the world of tax policy, but in the world of education, it is. There was only a handful of states really. Two that I can think of that did something like this on a much much smaller scale, Oklahoma kind of blew it out of the water and said everybody's eligible. It's universal. There is a funding cap on it, but it's you know 150 million the first year and 250 million the third year in its final phase of implementation. So it'll get to a lot of students, and I have in mind that it'll continue to grow as we move on. But I'd love you to just spend a couple of minutes on what you think about this kind of new policy for choice?
4: I'm with you, Joey. I think it's exciting. And the only other two, I hesitate to say comparable, like semi-similar programs would be, I think, Alabama and South Carolina. And neither of those are as expansive as what you've got going on in Oklahoma by a long shot in terms of the amount of the scholarship offered in terms of the number of students who have access. So your Oklahoma parental choice tax credit it's universal eligibility, it's up to a $7,500 credit for tuition and fees. And there's that homeschool component. You know, So I think a lot of states are going to be looking to Oklahoma as an example of, hey, here's something else you can do if maybe you don't have the appetite for a directly funded program. You, know, you can do a tax credit type of a program, a refundable tax credit program, you know, and I see where there's room for Oklahoma to grow their program. They can expand the caps, they can expand the scholarship, they can expand the credit amount on the homeschool side of things, thing, they can expand use for the tuition and fees component. I think really, really exciting things, you know, really happy for y'all there in Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think you're right, a lot more states will be looking at this, they already have. There's a couple of bills filed in some other states that kind of just put it out there, not even really knowing, I think, what Oklahoma was doing. And ever since Oklahoma has passed it now, there's a lot more states that are much more serious about it. Idaho being one of them. I think Kansas has some interest in it. So, you know, lots of exciting things when new things like this pop up, just kind of as a new, innovative way to think about how we can help families out with their educational needs. So that's kind of the state update for this month. Lots of exciting things, you know, heading into the summer. So Lots of things are going to be winding down and we'll start conference season where a lot of these legislators will go to these conferences and talk about education policy, what they've done, what they want to do. And so we'll keep you attuned to that as well. Have a good weekend, everyone.